People of Note on Fine Music Radio is proudly brought to you each week at this time by Peter Turin Productions. This is Rodney Trudgeon welcoming you to this week's edition of People of Note here on Fine Music Radio. I'm excited to tell you that I have a particularly young lady in the studio with me who is an extremely accomplished opera director internationally and has been winning all sorts of accolades. Her name is Victoria Stevens. She was born here in South Africa, studied Western classical music at honors level at the University of Cape Town, and a master's in opera performances at the Royal Conservatoire of Scotland, where she was ABRSM scholar. Then a long-held desire to direct opera was fed by numerous side pursuits as assistant director during her singing studies and career in the UK, including assistantships in Germany and Italy and an observership with Scottish opera. Then, in 2016, Victoria decided to turn her focus fully to opera directing, pursuing a further master's degree in opera direction and dramaturgy from the Verona Academy for Italian Opera. Victoria then went on to work at a whole lot of opera houses and festivals around Europe. And she's a real South African, and she's here with me. Victoria, welcome. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It's very interesting that... um, because you were originally a singer, weren't you? Are you? Do you still sing? Yes. Well, I sing now and then for myself. <laughs> um, okay. It's still very much in my in my heart of hearts um, to sing and to be a singer. But um, after studying it and uh, getting quite competitive with it, I was really more interested in directing and decided I wanted to follow that. But it's still there. I still sing concerts from time to time. And I can definitely say that my experience and education as a singer has really informed my way of directing now and the way I work with singers and, and understanding where they're where their processes come from and how they build that up. So Now, the interesting thing, Victoria, as I said just now, is that you are a young person. And it's <laughs> not right to ask a woman's age, but you're a young person, and therefore, you know, you sort of think you need to be in your midlife before you can start directing. But clearly that's not true, and there's room for people with innovative new views, isn't there? Yes. I mean, it's true that you do have to have a certain level of life experience when Mm. it comes to tackling and interpreting really um, human and and complicated subjects and the emotions and decisions that, that people would deal with every day and death and love. And the fact is that opera is about all of these things. And I think as a young person, I'm able to bring a contemporary perspective to it and I'm able to direct things that um, that are accessible to other people my age, well, mm-hmm. hopefully to all ages. Mm-hmm. But I think what we're really aiming for in opera, especially now, is to reach out to more diverse audiences and to really appeal to the younger generation. And so as a young person, I feel quite well-placed to to do that and to be able to to package it in a way that that really speaks to other people of my generation. I was reading a lot about and seeing pictures of your production of The Marriage of Figaro and your interpretation of that rather complex story and how you related it to everyone experiencing those sorts of things. And you set it in a Hollywood... Tell me where you set it. So it was set in a 1930s uh, Hollywood film studio and um, we called it Almaviva Produzioni. So the the Count Almaviva was the, the head of this production studio. I really thought that it worked to translate Beaumarchais' story to this world because the world of Hollywood or any kind of film, celebrity, production world is full of of intrigue and power dynamics and mm-hmm. and, and pretense, partic- as you said and pretense, in your article. Yes, and and unfortunately, sexual discrimination a mm-hmm. lot of the time and mm-hmm. and manipulation and taking advantage of and a lot of that in figure isn't there that's that's what the story is based on yeah. and so so it really worked that that Susanna was working kind of a makeup lady costume assistant working in this world, and the contessa was the the star the starlet the sort of Marilyn Monroe although a bit earlier than Marilyn Monroe, but this sort yeah, of character. Yeah, yeah. 
And um, so it really translated quite well, I thought. Mm -hmm. Where was that? Where did you do that? So that was in Florence. Um, It was for a new, well, a festival called the New Generation Festival, which has been running for three or four years. Um, Really fantastic initiative started by three young um, music students in the UK. Uh, One is a music student, one is a a drama student, was a drama student and one a producer. And they put this put this festival together and engage people from all over the world, up-and-coming singers from, for example, the National Opera Studio or the Yeti Parker Young Artist Program in, in, in London, and somehow managed to secure massive funding from people like Rolls-Royce and Rolex and British Airways and built this festival from nothing. And it, it takes place um, every summer. I think it's sadly been cancelled this year, but, but usually in, the, in July and August, well, I say summer, I mean European summer. The European summer. Yes, in the Palazzo Corsini in the centre of Florence. It's an old palace owned by a family that used to be the head of a principality in, in Italy when it was organised that way. And um, they're a very well-known family, the family Corsini, and they're just lovers of, of opera and, and theatre and culture, and they give up their home and their gardens every summer for this festival. Sort of Glyndebourne style, almost. Exactly. It's in the, in the spirit of Glyndebourne, but mm. in Italy, in the, in the heart of the, of the Renaissance. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it, it draws visitors from all over the world, really. And the year that I had the opportunity to direct uh, Le Nozze di Figaro, they had opened, um, well, they had published an open call for, for concepts for this opera. And then, so it was a, a kind of a competition. Mm-hmm. And then they selected mine, and, and that was... It. Really. There are pictures of you among these magnificent old American <laughs> Hollywood-style cars, and it looks very. Yes, Hollywood. that was for a production shoot. Yeah, we had um, yeah. a main feature of it, which which I like to do a lot in my work, um, mm. was based on video projection, and so of course black and white, sort of static kind of um, feature films that we shot before before the the start of production, mm-hmm. and those were then used in the. How did it show. go down? How was it received? I think well. I hope well. Um, <laughs> you weren't booed you know, off the stage. <laughs> well, no, not 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 yet. That hasn't happened yet. But I think it went down well. Um, there, some people had were of the opinion that because we were in this in this very traditional Renaissance building, that we should have just set it, you know, sort of traditional period clothing. But I thought really the architecture of the building reminded me exactly of sort of paramount pictures yes, driving yes. down sunset boulevard and so i think it went down well and and that was the general the general um perception now, here i am sitting with an opera director called victoria stevens visiting south africa we'll find out about your visit in a moment but i'm intrigued at your music choice tell me about your first piece debussy's pelias Melisande. yes so this is a piece that's very close to my heart and the reason for that is when i started my um, um, opera performance studies in Glasgow, as you as you mentioned, this was the first um, opera scenes program that I took part in, and I sang this scene, and this is the tower scene from Act Three, Scene One of Peleas et Melisande. And then later, during my time where I work now in Germany at the Nationaltheater Mannheim, which is a an A house, a theatre in Germany. We recently did a production of this um, under the direction of Barry Kosky and in a collaboration with the Komische Oper Berlin. And this scene was just so central, so incredibly done. And in the scene, um, Peleas comes to the tower and asks Melisande to let her hair down. It's the Rapunzel story. Mm, it's there. It's yes, but she didn't have this, all these locks of hair. She, in fact had a branch on her arm. Her arm had morphed into a kind of branch that she then extended to him. and It was just so beautifully done, and I thought I must share it. So this is the um, recording. Pierre Boulez conducting the Royal Opera House Orchestra and Chorus, and the singers are Elizabeth Söderström and George Shirley.
special scene from the opera Peleas et Melisande, Act 3, Scene 1, the opera by Debussy, the tower scene. Pierre Boulez there conducting the Royal Opera House Orchestra, and the singers were Elizabeth Schilderstrom and George Shirley, and it was the first choice of Victoria Stevens, my guest on People of Note here on Fine Music Radio this week. Victoria is an accomplished, I'd like to say that accomplished, as young as you are, I'm going on about your age, <laughs> opera director, whose production of The Marriage of Figaro, as you heard, was interestingly different. But one of the things I read about you, they say here, listen to this, Mm. Victoria collaborates across a wide scope of artistic disciplines to reimagine the operatic idiom from a fresh perspective, producing work that resonates within a contemporary frame of reference. Mm-hmm. And this is basically what you've been saying, isn't it? To make it relevant. Yes, what I try, what I try to do. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, this is now where I'm going to try and be the devil's advocate. Yes, do. There is a lot of criticism at the moment about certain opera productions where mm. the directors actually distracts you from the actual music, mm. and I know Wagner suffers badly from that. Um, so you're reimagining. You will still try always to keep the music. I'm not telling you this. I'm asking you this <laughs> at, at the heart. Yes. Well, I mean, I am. I am first and foremost a musician and a singer, and so mm-hmm. I really do. Um, when I think of how to conceptualize something or how to direct a certain scene, it well, it depends whether it's an interlude or whether it's a duet. But usually, the starting point for me is the music, and I really try to to build on the ebbs and swells of the music. And mm-hmm. I think um, in terms of stagings that distract from the music, that is often that is often a conflict when it comes to Wagner specifically, because in Wagner, the orchestra really takes on a symphonic role mm-hmm. and they're almost a, an, another character in the piece. And so, it's, so it's difficult to find the balance, but I really think it's our my our job as directors to find to find how to paint the music visually with something that works mm-hmm. um i know um in bayreuth i think it was last uh, two years ago 2019 there was this new tannhäuser and it was quite controversial um and a lot of the comments was by the director Tobias Kratzer, and I, I haven't seen it myself, but I had read that there were often criticisms that the video projection or other things happening on stage were at odds with, with the music that had been written by Wagner. I can't really comment on it because I haven't seen it, but I, I do think it's good, interesting to challenge people and to provoke and to evoke a conversation and a dialogue. Mm. Not everybody's going to like what you what you have of to say. Of course not. That's, a, that's a good point. But I think it's in, it's important to create a conversation, mm-hmm. and that's really the only way that we can preserve our art form. I feel for the future is if we create difference a difference of opinions. Yes. And I don't know how well you know if you've ever worked on Tristan and Isolde. I have. I wrote my um, honors thesis on it, <laughs> but oh, well, but uh, excuse <laughs> at me. the University of Cape Town. But but I haven't worked on the piece. Um, okay. As a director. So that so, no. I mean, you know, from very stark sort of productions, I saw one two years ago at Deutsche Oper in Berlin. Mm. I really don't know who the um, director. director was, but it was the wonderful Donald Ronickels conducting, uh-huh. and that That's orchestra amazing. during the prelude sounded so amazing. But then there followed this most bizarre production, and I 
simply didn't know what was going on mm. because there were so many people. You know, it's act one is just Tristan and Zolda and Carnival and the maid, whatever yeah, her name yeah, is, yeah, yeah, yeah. But there were people, for example, for, there was a woman, a young woman who worked, walked on the stage completely naked and wandered around with it and walked off again. There were people sitting on what looked like <laughs> cinema couches and I didn't know what was going on. Yes. So it was distracting yes. from what was musically and vocally an Super outstanding work. product. Nina Stemmet was singing. Was singing yeah. Well, I think another side of the coin is that directors often try to um, get their name out there by shock, yes. oh, shock yeah, tactics. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And I don't really agree with that because then you're kind of furthering your own agenda rather than serving the story and, mm -hmm. and the music and the people on stage. Um, so it's a fine balance. It's yeah. It takes a lot of searching and experimenting. Do you enjoy working with all the uh, sort of style of opera? Italian opera. You've had a lot of experience with Mozart, German opera. Yeah. Yes. And modern. Apparently, you do quite a lot of work with yes. modern contemporary opera. I love contemporary. Well, I think uh, Kamal Khan always used to say, and I can't agree more that your favorite opera is always the one you're working on at the time yeah. because you and that's the case with me I really get into it and I sleep with it and I eat it and I and it's it's playing in my head all day um I think all of those different genres of opera have something different to offer I have to say I think my favorite is as you say contemporary opera mm -hmm. there you get into all sorts of problems with how to stage it but there are many different ways to interpret things but I I will say that I studied in Italy in Verona as you mentioned, and I worked at the Arena di Verona. And of course, that brings to mind really sort of grandiose opera. Aida, and, exactly. Example, that's Aida, the first one that springs to mind. All the big ones. And, yeah, and yeah. Um, they tried to do Rigoletto there. And, and it's such a vast yeah. stage. And Rigoletto needs to be claustrophobic, the, doesn't it? This intensity, the yeah. relationships yes. between Gilda and Rigoletto. There's no way you can stand stage right and Rigoletto stage left and sing to each other and exclaim mm -hmm. and declaim and hand gestures. And for me, that's not really what opera is about. Um, it's, that's, for me, superficial. Funny and you so, should mention that. It was the very first opera I ever heard. Rigoletto. Rigoletto. Not oh, knowing wonderful. anything about it and really being absolutely piece. stunned by it. The Famous colors, one of my favorites yeah, as yeah. well. Yeah. Well, yes. So, so my my experience of Italian opera in Italy is often that it becomes a bit like a museum, mm -hmm. which has it has its place as well. That sort of interpretation, but it doesn't really appeal to me. It was very interesting to be a part of it to observe, but um, I'm far more into building real, authentic relationships on stage and getting into the nitty nitty and gritty. I can see just looking at your body language how you love <laughs> eating it and sleeping it and getting into the nitty gritty. Also means I knock over glasses at the table all the time. <laughs> oh. Going out for dinner, I'm always the one to knock over a glass. Oh, really? <laughs> Too many hand gestures. Let's have another piece of music. Peter Grimes, the great yes. Peter Grimes, Benjamin yes. Britten. Yes. I'm going to say he's masterpiece. I know people I might so. agree and not agree. But, I, agree. Uh, I do agree. Now, why have you chosen this? Britain is really one of my favorite composers. Um, I find his music so descriptive and so just, just tasty. I don't know how else to say it. <laughs> and Peter Grimes was also a production that I worked on in Germany, where I'm living now and where I'm working now at the Nationaltheater Mannheim. I was an assistant director for this piece, but it was an incredible production. The whole stage was filled with water. And so everybody was walking around in these gumboots. And, um, <laughs> but it was just incredible, incredible production. And, and um, the next piece of music comes at the end of Act One, right after the mob this real mob in this fisherman's town has gone to look for Peter Grimes. And in our production, they were all carrying flaming torches and that cast beautiful reflections on oh, the water. Gosh, and yes. It was just incredible. Um, this was a production by a German director, Marcus Dietz, who in fact is the intendant in Kassel, at the Staatstheater Kassel. And I was just so in love with this opera and with this music. So I wanted to share the um, women's quartet, which happens at the end of Act One. And... It's just, it's a very, it's a small scene. It's a short quartet that happens in the middle of everything. And um, not much of that music is then repeated later on. And it's not the main theme of the opera, but mm -hmm. it's just this music that hangs there, suspended. Yes. And it's the plight of the women living in this in this town and is sung by four very different women. One is Ellen Orford, who tries to help Peter and 
we take it that she's in love with him. I think she more just um, mothers him. She mothers him, mm. and I think because she's a because she's a widow, yes. she feels like an outsider, like him. She yeah. feels misunderstood, and she values his his friendship. And um, now she's been cast out from the society too when they find out that she's been helping him. And the other three are Auntie, who runs the pub, and her two nieces, niece one and niece two, those are their names, and who have very questionable professions in this pub. <laughs> and everybody loves to come and visit Auntie's nieces. So um, these are four very different women, and they come together in this quartet about what it means to be a woman, and specifically in this society, and how they feel disposable.
that rather extraordinary scene, unusual even within the opera Peter Grimes, the quartet that comes at the end of Act One. And that was sung on the recording which Benjamin Britten himself conducted on Decca with Peter Pierce in the role of Peter Grimes. Which recording was that, Victoria? That's a brand new recording, isn't it, with Edward Gardner? Yes, Edward Gardner conducting the Bergen uh, Philharmonic mm-hmm. Orchestra. And it's been raved about in the magazines, yes, and I haven't recently, heard it yet, yeah. so that's whet my appetite somewhat. Yes, it's magnificent. It's another choice of my guest on People of Note this week, the opera director Victoria Stevens, who is South African and who's out here in Cape Town for what? Are you working? Are you on holiday? Are you lying on the beach? Are you <laughs> slaving away? I'm on holiday. Um, it ends tomorrow, sadly, but I've been doing a lot of lying on the beach, lots of wine tasting and um, <laughs> seeing friends. But I have also had um, quite a few interesting meetings mm-hmm. while I've been here to do with future future. Projects. Pro- projects and prospects. So okay. watch the space. That's the, that's the <laughs> diplomatic way of putting it. I would certainly love to be able to say um, that I'm going to see an opera here directed by Victoria Stevens to see what you do with it. You may see. You said you're here on holiday. Your family is here, aren't yes. they? Yes. But you live in Mannheim, which you mentioned a couple of times. Is that... Uh, by choice, we, how come you're in Mannheim? Well, I have a fixed um, position at the Nationaltheater Mannheim, which is um, an opera house, but they have also drama and dance. And um, my position there is as Spielleiterin, which means um, that I, well, it's a theater that does nine or ten premieres per year, but they also have many repertoire pieces, um, operas that have been staged over the years that they, productions that they own. Mm-hmm. And then they bring out the same production every five years or so. You know, there's a, there's a Boheme, a Traviata. And so my job is to revive these old productions with new casts and to update anything that needs to be updated. Then for premieres, I'm an assistant director there. But my main work is they're working on revival. So that's been for me really, really, that really must be great. Interesting. I'm, I'm, I want to find out because um, working on revivals, I'm sure you can't change it too much, but you yes. can tweak it here and there. So someone like you who enjoys a contemporary sort of twist, <laughs> if you're doing a bohem or traviata, as you said. Yes. I mean, you, I don't suppose you can really ruin the original production, but you could tweak it. Well, you're working within the context of the original production with the original set and costumes mm. and, and, um, and staging, blocking. Um, but they, well, because they know that I am a director myself and I'm building that as my career, they're very free um, with what they allow me to do. And, and they really allow me to change, I mean, quite surprised <laughs> but I really have tweaked things quite often because I feel it's outdated or you know I, I'm not interested in, in a tenor who stands and sings Kejelida Manina out to the audience and doesn't say a word to Mimi you know so so I do change things around so that's been a really great experience for me to try on my sort of directing pants and take charge in that way another thing that you see quite often is particularly with Belcanto operas um, Norma for example which which I directed the revival of recently in Mannheim um, there are many repeated sections so often these get cut and so when you have new singers coming in or, or guest singers engaged and new conductors they say I don't want to cut this I want to open this music so you'll sometimes be left with 20-25 minutes of music with no direction so that's why I really get to work and oh. get to get to do my own thing but you do have to make it fit with what else is going on so Mm. it's a bit of push and pull but but I really really enjoy doing it and and the advantage to being at a repertoire house and having a fixed position there is that I know the singers really well and what are their strengths they know me we have a relationship and so I'm able to really well I feel I hope I'm able to get real performances out of them because they trust me do you generally have um, guest conductors at Mannheim we have a general music director Alexander Soddy is his name he's wonderful conductor, British conductor, general music director is his, is his title, but he's a conductor. He's recently done a very, very successful um, Elektra in, in Vienna. And so he's the general music director. And then we have what are called Kapellmeister. Mm-hmm. And they are um, sort of junior conductors. And then we have also very often guest conductors coming in. For example, every time we do a Verdi, we get a Verdi specialist. Um, and yeah, and so on. So okay. Goes. And what is your relationship generally with conductors? Do they, 
Uh, was that a nervous <laughs> laugh? <laughs> it's a controversial, <laughs> controversial question. Look, you have to be diplomatic. You have to be willing to, to collaborate mm-hmm. and to not always push for your way. Many, many conduct, you know, it's always a question who, who has the upper hand or who is the main person at work, either the conductor or the director. And usually it's the conductor. So <laughs> I sometimes have to sort of, put a lid on it when I want to complain about things. But again, working in, having worked in this theatre now for, for three years, I, I have also a very good um, relationship with the conductors that are there and that come and go. And um, it was actually very good training for, for the, the Nozze di Figaro that I did in Florence, which was the big, the first sort of large scale thing, working with the conductor there. But yeah, you have to learn to see things from their perspective. And mm-hmm. often they sort of raise their eyebrows at if you want a singer to lie down while they're singing. Or, but, you know, it's a, it's a bit of push and pull, but it all works out in the end. Good, as long <laughs> usually, as they know. Usually. <laughs> usually. <laughs> now, talking about, well, I was going to say push and pull, but that's not true. But you had a huge success, I'm told, hmm. with Hansel und Gretel at the Mannheim Opera very, very recently. Yes, um, that was at Christmas time. So um, I was asked by the house to, to well, in the midst of this COVID pandemic, which of course is nothing that anybody would have wanted to experience, but mm. has been an advantage for me because I got to do this production. And the reason for it was that we had to cancel our entire season because none of the revivals and the new productions were fitting for the rules that you have to impose in stagings that are COVID appropriate and safe. So they said, we must do Hansel and Gretel. It's absolute core of the German repertoire and beloved, beloved, beloved by children and adults all over Germany and just has to take place in Germany at Christmas time. So what they decided to do is to build a big white wall. Um, and this is a concept that was used by Barry Kosky at the Komische Oper, which is with his very famous Zauberflöte, which was all with video projection on this white wall. And it was 2D. So they built this wall and they said, we're going to use this as a set for four operas. For Hansel and Gretel, Barbara of Seville, um, Madame Butterfly, and Zauberflöte. Good grief. And so this was to be used as a projection surface. And so we did the whole thing with projection, um, other little set and prop elements. But the idea was that you didn't have to touch a lot of things. You didn't come near to anybody else. And so they said, we really need a new production of this. Please, will you direct it? You know the house, you know our singers, and we need to do it quickly. So give us something. So that was a great opportunity for me to do my first big production on the main stage there. Congratulations, and apparently it was a huge success, I'm Yes, told. Well, well, unfortunately we couldn't open because the theatre had to then close very shortly before the premiere. So we, we filmed it with many different camera angles and it was live-streamed and broadcast on German television. And then it will have the live premiere this Christmas. So it wasn't and all lost. And then it can be seen all over the world. Then it can be seen, yes. Including so in Cape Town. Including here. People can <laughs> tap in. So I'll As it were. send the link over Please when it's do. available. <laughs> now, the next piece of music, incidentally, is Hansel and Gretel, the famous pantomime scene. Yes. I wanted to listen to this piece because I think it's the most remarkable music in the whole opera. It's just after Hansel and Gretel have gone to sleep in the famous um, Abendsegen duet. Exactly, after they've come into contact with the Sandman and and then they wake up in this new world and discover Mm. the witch's house. So in our production I really wanted to focus on home as as a theme and their feeling that they don't have a home or that they're being thrown out of their own home that the family in my staging was being evicted from their home. So when the Sandman comes, instead of sprinkling sand in their eyes, he brings two one-person tents, which which get flown in from above. The Sandman character is a hiker in my, like a hiker in the woods. <laughs> and he brings Hansel and Gretel each a tent that they can sleep in and be protected. And so at the end of the, of the evening prayer, they do, they close their tents, do some little shadow, hand shadows with their torches. And then um, this pantomime begins and um, out come some children of the forest who all have a, they each have a white balloon. And in the end, Gretel wakes up and together they gather all of their balloons together and then send them up to the sky. Oh, goodness, so it that, sounds magical. Let's see if that moment can be identified in this recording when the, <laughs> when the balloons go up. It's hard to miss it.
There are you see. Did you hear the balloons go up? <laughs> That's the magical pantomime sequence from Hansel and Gretel by Engelbert Humperdinck. So Colin Davis there with Edith Gurubrova and Anne Murray. And a choice of Victoria Stevens, the South African stage director specializing in opera, who's my guest on People of Note this week <laughs> and saying all sorts of extraordinary things about opera. <laughs> and um, what I wanted to ask you is when you go back now, I mean, you've just said that you're going back, but you, you don't want to leave all our beautiful <laughs> weather at the moment. Yes. Well, coming back now, I start to ask myself why I left in the first place. <laughs> you start to realize that there's, there's so much in this in this country and in Cape Town um, specifically. The load shedding is something that's not so convenient, but even that starts to seem familiar when you come back after a long time. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I, I do have to go back, but but we'll be coming back how Quite often do often. you come back? Well, my, my family lives here, so I try to come every Christmas time. It, this was my first visit for a year and a half or so because of, the, you know, the pandemic COVID, yes, made yes. everything so difficult. But I try to come back at least once a year, but um, hoping that will become more frequent with future developments. So. <laughs> I heard you mention just now Electra. Yes. Um, and I, I mean, I'd love to see what you would do with Electra and Salome <laughs> if you had to well, direct those hmm, operas. Are you but, sure? <laughs> uh, I would, I, actually, you're right. <laughs> Maybe not. What are you doing now when you go back to Mannheim? Are you going back to Mannheim, in fact? Yes, um, via Frankfurt. Um, Mannheim is very close to Frankfurt, about mm -hmm. half an hour's train ride. First thing is two weeks of quarantine. <laughs> oh, yes, of course, of course. <laughs> in which I'll be preparing and doing sort of what they call home office in, in Germany, home mm -hmm. office stolen from the English. Um, but I will I will um, assist on a new, well, not a new opera, but very infrequently done in Germany called Simplicius Simplicissimus. And this will, in fact, be with the same director uh, who I worked with on Peter Grimes. So that's the first production coming up in an assistant role for me. But I'm also preparing a new staging of The Turn of the Screw, another ah, Britain, which yes. is Britain is just Oh, but that's favorite. an extraordinary opera because that you can do so much with it psychologically. Opera. It's a ghost story. Yes. It's based on on the uh, on the novel of eighteen ninety seven, I think that's it was, right. and um, it's so psychologically interesting. And it's it's perfect for these times because there's a small orchestra, I think sixteen or seventeen players, and a small mm -hmm. cast. And so I'm working on that actually for a directing competition that I've entered with um, my team that I usually work with. And so we're preparing our, our proposal. I bet you'll for get that. your teeth well, into that. Yes, yes. <laughs> and so that is coming up now, Turn of the Screw and... Yeah, the preparation so you've a, time. you've got a good year coming up by the sounds of things. I, well, I hope so. I'm hoping nothing else gets cancelled. But <laughs> Oh, yes. Well, that's the thing, isn't but it? But then the next thing in Mannheim is I'll be doing a... Um, there's a concert version of... Um, excerpts from Fidelio, but the uh, concert is called Leonora, and um, I'll be doing a semi-staged um, Leonora's take on the story of Fidelio. Okay. So that's the next Because project. there is a version called Leonora, isn't there? Is, there? I think exactly. John Elliott Gardner recorded it. Exactly. As opposed to Beethoven's um, yes. re remodeling. The full Fidelio, yeah. Yes, there yes. are excerpts from Fidelio, but yes, the title and the, and the, and the groundwork for the concert is, is definitely based on, on the Leonora. We have, you, a, we have an exclamation mark at the end. I'm not sure why yet. but <laughs> Leonora exclamation, exclamation mark. mark yes. oh. <laughs> do you listen to opera at home or, or do you try and see a lot of opera? Yes. Um, to see what people are doing, what contemporary directors are doing? Yes. I have to say in Germany there's a very ripe landscape um, and very interesting things being done at the moment. Partic I've spoken, uh, mentioned Barry Kosky a few mm, times. Mm. He's doing really interesting things. He's he's the artistic director or was of of the Kommerscher Oper Berlin. I'm not sure whether he is anymore. But he's very interested in reviving um, the particularly lost operettas of the old Weimar Republic before 1933, before the Nazi party came into power. And um, so there's a lot, there's a whole move to... Um, to show and interpret and stage real German, modern German opera. Um, so there's a lot of that happening, which I find very interesting. Um, and I, in fact, listen to a lot of jazz at home. Oh, <laughs> it's do very, you? <laughs> very, I find it very relaxing and I wish I could sing jazz, but 
that's beyond me. It's very complex and difficult to be good at jazz singing, I think. Um, But yes, I listen to opera too at home. Of course, anything I'm working on, it starts with really listening, living with that music and really getting into it. And uh, a favorite opera? Or is that difficult to say? Well, as I said, I think that's whatever you're working on at the time. Yes, you said, but I'm... I think at the moment it's the turn of a screw. <laughs> working on it, because that's it's why. so in in my soul yeah. at the moment. But otherwise, I love Rigoletto and I love Peleas et Melisande, which is why I chose the excerpt. <laughs> so you did. <laughs> but now there's an unexpected excerpt coming up yes. as your last piece. Yes. So this is a very well-known, lovely song from Showboat and. Um, I, when I was still singing, well, I'm still singing, but when I was singing more, um, I was involved in the Cape Town Opera production of Showboat um, here in Cape Town and touring to the UK, um, performed in, in, in Wales and in Manchester and Birmingham. And I covered, I, well, I sang in the chorus and I covered the role of Kim, who is Magnolia's daughter at the end. And she's, she has this big song at the end. It's a song and dance. It's really a dancing role and you have to be able to sing a little bit. So I was covering it. And then the main cast dancer got horribly sick during the tour. So I ended up singing most of the performances and dancing most of the performances, <laughs> which I by no means, ad- I mean, I can't, I I'm not, don't have two left feet, but I wouldn't call myself a dancer. So I ended up having to, to jump in there um, with many nerves involved. But this song is um, Can't Help Loving That Man, and it's sung by Annette Warren here on the original motion picture soundtrack. And another reason why it's quite close to my heart is because I went to Springfield Convent Girls School and I sang in their opera in a convent garden, one of their first concerts. I sang this song and it was a concert together with Pretty Yende. So that was my, that, I think that was 2007 or 2008 must have been. So oh. this is Can't Help Loving That Man. A bit of nostalgia as well for exactly, you. Exactly. Victoria Stevens, it's been lovely talking to you and best of luck. And I hope we Thank can see you. one of your productions here one day soon. I hope so too. Thanks for having that's Victoria Stevens, a South African stage director, heading back to Mannheim, and here's Showboat. Oh, listen, sister, I love my Mr. Man, and I can't tell you why, there ain't no reason. For me to love that man It must be something That the angels done plan Fish gotta swim Gotta fly. I gotta love one man till I die. Can't help loving that man of mine. Tell me he's lazy. Tell me I'm crazy Maybe I know Can't help Loving that man of mine When he goes away Come home as late 
People of Note on Fine Music Radio was proudly brought to you by Peter Turin Productions. FMR 101.3